Today on Sagittarian Matters, dogs, advice, drums, and more with my guest, Patty Schemmel. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Shemmel is best known as the drummer for the band Hole. She's also the author of the new memoir, Hits So Hard. And she's on the board of the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls. And she does storytelling. And she loves dogs. Please enjoy my talk with drummer, writer, storyteller, Rock and Roll Camp for Girls person, Patty Shemmel. Patty Schimmel. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, thanks for being here. Yeah. These questions are for us, but people are asking me these questions because I'm an advice columnist, oh, okay. but now I do advice on the podcast. Okay. But I was telling you the story. Okay. So a long time ago, like 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more, I was doing an advice column and it was, it was hot for a minute uh-huh. in Portland. I was getting a lot of queer questions. Where was it? Um, it was just on, it was like on a Tumblr or blog spot oh, or something, okay, okay. but it was really, it was kind of going off. Like people were asking me questions, their partners were recognizing themselves in the questions. People oh. were getting in trouble. Oh. It was like, a, but I, I kept everyone anonymous. I even like my girlfriend at the time tried to press me to say like, who's, who asked that question? I was like, I'll oh. never tell. I can never tell. Oh, oh. It's like the like advice yeah. columnist creed or something. I don't know. But so I was doing it. It was really fun. I started, I was like, let's branch out into videos. Mm. So I made an advice video with my friend winner and one of the questions somebody said how do i get laid and the the answer i mean it was so it was like a not it wasn't that dirty but it was like that question and i was like oh get a good haircut and talk to people like Uh that was my best advice for them (laughs) and it was it wasn't that dirty but at the same time i was teaching sixth graders in the suburbs of portland Oh my gosh, if, if you throw the ball, it will never I'm end. Not gonna, it will never uh, end. Antonio just walked up with a ball. And I know as an experienced dog person that never throw the ball because then you're in for the rest of the day. And I, I won't do it. You're that in for the rest of your life if you throw that tennis ball. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Not doing it. Not She's, doing it. Pr- producer Ponyo threw off her headphones, left the board, and got a yeah. tiny tennis ball. And now, she, now she's attacking Patty. <laughs> oh, all right. Ponyo, relax for a second. Okay, so... Sixth graders I was teaching in the suburbs in Lake Oswego, uh, outside of Portland, got really excited about me and found my last name because the PTA had paid for me to come to their school. And they Googled me and my advice video went viral amongst the sixth grade. How to get laid went oh. viral amongst the sixth grade, which is very inappropriate, oh. which, but I had nothing to do with. So the right. principal calls me one morning and yes. says, you know, this video is not for kids. And these kids found it. And I was like, I'm sorry. I, and then they said, well, we can't have you come back. Mm. You're fired, essentially. Okay. Uh, and so then I was horrified because advice didn't pay my bills. Teaching paid my bills. Uh-huh. And so I was like, sorry, advice. Sorry, Portland. Yes. And so I... I locked down my advice blog. I made it, you know, you had to press a button that says you're 18 and over, which oh. makes it seem like it's 
crazy, but then you get oh, onto yeah. it and it's like yeah. half chicken and dog advice questions and like <laughs> a question chicken. about somebody who's like, should I do polyamory? Like that's just like every question is, okay. yeah. how do I take care of chickens? Should I do polyamory? It's okay. like every question that <laughs> every gay person asks. Um, and so I didn't do it. And then I did it for Bitch Magazine for a while. They brought uh-huh. me out of oh, retirement, nice. which was fun. It was called like Ms. Opinionated. And then um, I stopped doing that and now I just do it on a podcast. Oh, Okay. So, well, can I just say that there was another incident recently that I saw where Fetch yes. came out and um, it was, of course, given to ASPCA. Is that right? Uh, PETA. PETA. Yes. And some kids got their hands on it. Is that right? Yes. Uh, PETA gave it to a mom at a, at a low cost spay clinic. They were giving out kids books, like vegan propaganda kids books, I think. Probably. And they gave this lady's kids fetch in a stack of kids books. So then her kids were reading it. And she was like, there was the F word. uh, There was the B word. There were suicidal ideations. The dad was beating the mom. She said it just got worse and worse. Right. The kids were in the backseat reading from it. And then they were all of a sudden giggling. Right. And then then the uh, mom was like, what are you giggling about? And they were like, the F word or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so then she kept it. PETA, PETA made sure to note that she kept, kept the, book. the book. They they offered to take it back from her. She's like, no, no, I'll keep it. I hate it, but I'll keep it. And I I posted it on Facebook. One of her friends yeah. trolled me. One of her friends sent me a mean letter that was like, what? Mm-hmm. Again, the, I, I, this is out of your hands What your where your work goes. I know. Well, and it appeals to a wide audience. You do so much in all areas. So you can't control that. No. Well, so now when I teach, I teach under an assumed name. Oh. I use my middle name as my last name, essentially like a porn star. So like, I'm just yeah. like, what kids, is, oh, like you kids just know me. Say, well, kids just know it? me as Nicole Joanne. Oh, okay. That's it. That's just yeah. my name. Yeah. And um, I'm known as Miss Patty. Really? Yeah. And then do they ask you more about your life? Uh, yeah. But I, I'm just pretty brief. You know, like, well, I teach drums so they know... That. But then yeah. also, when I do my um, Waldorf art class assisting, I I'm just Miss Patty, and that's how they know me. Yeah, they, you know, they're too little to, you know, want to pursue. They can't touch it. They don't know how to Use operate. <laughs> they're like, uh, we cannot really read that well. Yeah, so I, I, it makes me feel very southern to have them call me Miss Nicole. Yeah, like it happens, but I feel very southern. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm. I don't have a Butchinson's disease, which is, if you've yes. known. Yeah. Will you describe Butchinson's disease for listeners who don't know? <laughs> Butchinson's, I'm grateful. I, I mean, uh, respect to those who have it. But it's like a, a butch who's, you know, butch lesbian, identifies a little more masculine, uh, is so butch that she cannot have, you know, you might even, you might call her a he maybe, mm-hmm. or will not sit, I've known where they won't sit on something pink, you know, like there's oh. a couch that's pink. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to sit on that. Yeah. So that's, a, you know, whoa, someone has a case of the Butchinson's. That's... So that's why I don't mind being called Miss Patty. You're like, I'll do it. I'll take it. Yeah. That's so funny. Uh, my friend Stevie made this book. I don't know where it is. It's called The Lesbian Lexicon. Uh-huh. I wish I could just make it appear in my hands. But there's also, um, there's one, there's a word in there called Uncle Dad. Which is essentially like like a butch person that always wants to tell you judgmentally what to do all the time. <laughs> like has the answer. It's like I think it's acquainted with butch and sins. Yeah. 
Yes. I yes. But oh, wait, so your book we're, yeah. we're here also Speaking. on the occasion of your yeah. book. Right. Hits so hard. Which so the um documentary came first. Yeah. And then did the book come out of the documentary because you were like, there's so much more to say? Yes. And when I did uh, a little tour with the documentary, there were a lot of Q&As after and there were a lot of questions and conversations about recovery and about that time in music. And um, a publisher came to me and said, would you like to do a book? There, I know there's got to be more to the story. And I was like, mm, okay, but a bit reluctant. I'd never done that before. So he connected me with Aaron Hosier, who helped me begin the book and write it. And so that's how it started, like three years ago. Oh, wow. Well, so when I'm doing a memoir, I will think about like, maybe like the, I'll make a timeline for myself and think like, okay, well, I know it started here and ended, you know, I know like, okay, I got the dog and the dog died. No spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> I got the dog, the dog, died. okay, what happened in between? You know, okay, well, here's the part where I like, I wrote her manifesto and I gave her away and this and that. How did you go about structuring the book or um, figuring out what you wanted to put it, what your like benchmarks of your life were? Yeah, it was, um, you know, early, the way, what, what we say, I'll just say, in recovery is the way it was, what happened, and the way it is today. Mm-hmm. So um, there were, you know, certain moments in my life that were, um, you know, benchmarks, like you're saying, is, um, you know, like uh, being born. <laughs> and then, you know, where uh, okay, I, you know, I was born. And then, um, you know, parents were divorced. And, you know, like leading up to that, what happened? And, you know, discovering drums. And, uh, you know, the day I was born, knowing I was gay. The day I was born. Literally? <laughs> I mean, there, I've never questioned it. I've never been like, oh, maybe not. You know, I in the book, I talk about a um, a relationship I had with a guy. But it was only because I felt like I had to, you know, mm-hmm. I was so, but yeah, I never questioned it. So that's how it was. So like that. And when I talked to Aaron, we would do these, we'd set up these calls and we'd talk and then, you know, we worked off a Google doc mm-hmm. together and I would write and then she would go in and read and like move things around. And so that's how, how it happened. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So you wrote the book, yeah. your memory is incredible. From that time, I considering that you're like, I was doing all these fucking drugs, like so much crazy. And also like for me, like touring and movement kind of fucks with my sense of reality. And then I can only imagine on top of that. And it's like all the trauma too, kind of sometimes like erases. Yes. Chunks of things. And so you were going through a lot. Yeah. I'm sure there's so much I forgot, but this was what I retained. So I guess that's okay. Pretty good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did you I mean, interview other people in your life to be like, um, do you remember I, this? You know, I would talk to people in, you know, that were around at the time a little bit, you know, like I always talk to Melissa and um, I have the things that I remember. She has totally other things that she remembers. And um, yeah, I didn't like, you know, consciously interview them, but just these are all the stories that were always floating around in my mind that I always just you know, if something came up, I would, well, one time, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Cool. And so through the book, um, you know, long, long story short, but people yeah. should definitely read the book. It's right. so great. And there's so many great photos. And I like the book 
I like the book um, separate from the documentary. I think it's great. I'm so glad it exists. But through it, so you you have you have some hard times. Yes. You do some drugs. Right. And then you do some more drugs. And then uh, stop and then do them again. And, and then, yeah. yeah, you know, it's the story of, it's like the, the I wanted to make my drug addiction, to write it out the way it was and not, you know, romanticize it at all and um, keep it real. And um, it's not pretty and it's not cool and it's, you know, pathetic. <laughs> and that's how it is in the book. And, and that's... Um, was important to tell it, you know, honestly. Yeah. Well, we have an advice question about grief in a second, but reading it, I was like, God, what would have happened if like a team of grief counselors had come into Seattle at like the exact point where a lot of things were happening, you know, people were overdosing and killing themselves. And I was like, what would have happened? Yeah. I I think, you know, absolutely nothing (laughs) for, because I, I was really, um really set on whatever the trajectory was for my life you know i was still i don't think nothing there wasn't anything no words from another person was really going to help me out of you know my drug addiction i had to experience everything the way i did and mm-hmm. it was all those clichés you know you need to you're going to lose it all you have to hit bottom you have to uh, rebuild, you have to, you know, admit you're powerless, all those things. And literally, it had to be tangible. It couldn't be words, you know, like all this information that, uh, you know, 22 times into rehab, all that information, it all goes in my head, and it's in there. And then, you know, you just have a head full of it, if you're not ready to get clean. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's such a great I mean, that's such a great example, too, for people about how they can't control another person's life. There are probably a lot of well-meaning people who are like, if I can just get Patty to do this one thing or go to this one place, I think I'll have fixed it. Right. I think it will be done. And all the, you know, people in my band and, you know, people in my family were saying, um, you know, offering help and, you know, uh, much appreciated. Thank you. And I would go to rehab to get them all off my back, you know, and that was the sort of the, the, the wheel of death. You know, It's like getting back on it. Like, Oh, okay. Just get these people off my back, go to rehab, get out of rehab. Um, look like I'm sober, get, you know, get strung out again. And then yeah, all over and over and over. Yeah. And, um, not saying that you shouldn't offer friends that are in addiction help, but, um, you know, offer help and then just, you know, let go. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that's a valuable lesson of the book. And so after it worked or, you know, after mm-hmm. you were like, okay, yeah, this that's- is rock bottomist. Yes that I can imagine going uh-huh. without being dead. Right. You, uh, when, when you came out, you kind of found a new life through dogs. Yes. How did, how did they help you? And, uh, well, what happened was that I let go of the old me. That was the drummer and that, you know, had to be the cool, you know, whatever person in this band and rebuilt and, 
and got my first job was at a dog care facility. Just sort of came my way. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I learned, um, you know, just how to get on the bus and get to work on time and be a worker among workers. And, um, and while, and, you know, my boss would say, well, really good job with that dog the other day. That was really, you know, whatever. And it's, so these things would be sort of little, little esteem builders. And I started to really, of course, I've always been loved animals, loved dogs, but really get into the, um, dog behavior and, um, that working with dogs and that was exciting to me the way drums were mm-hmm. and I didn't think anything else could be that exciting you know that like because all I was was drums so discovering that was huge and then getting some self-esteem from it was big and then the fact that dogs made me feel calm and just okay the you know the what I was always seeking with drugs you know so dogs brought me um, a bit of comfort. Did you ever think about calling your book, Dogs Are My Drug? <laughs> no. <laughs> my drug of choice is dogs. Yes. <laughs> That's really good, though. <laughs> Maybe like a, like a follow-up, like right. training manual or something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, ju- yeah, like a dog behavior kind of, yeah. That's good. I don't know what it is about them. I just, I really, I really like them. I know. Very much. I, I, um, I, I would listen to your podcast with Allison Wolf. Yes. And I heard you, I was talking back to the radio because I heard you asking her, like, what the fuck happened to Riot Girl? Like, yeah. what happened? Yeah. And I, I so like from, from the sidelines, I like raised my hand and I was like, okay. Yeah. So your question to her was, you know, Riot Girl was really happening and it was a driving force. And then it kind of imploded a little bit. There was the media descended on it. It got right. co-opted. Yes. Um, there was fighting and a media blackout and fractures and schisms and all kinds of things. And we are still fighting the same fights, sexism-wise, but right now kind of intensely in the media. Yes, yes. Um, but I wanted to raise my hand because I think Rock and Roll Camp for Girls is something that came directly from Riot Girl. Yes, that's what I say too. And I just made that, I know this sounds crazy, but I just made that discovery the other day when I was talking to a guy from a some magazine doing press for the book. And he was talking about um, just how did we get there? I forget how we actually got to, well, I was telling him about how... Um, Rock and Roll Camp for Girls is important to me and why, which then led to, uh, you know, my uh, talk about feminism, talk about Riot Girl, talk. Of, and then I made the connection. I was like, well, that it was born from Riot Girl. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I volunteered it for uh, about 10 years. I volunteered at Rock Camp. I was there for the first Rock Camp and it was a capstone project in Portland at PSU. Whoa. But it was born out of Riot Girl. Like. Yeah. Misty McElroy, the person that founded it, like was inspired by Riot Girl, and it feels, it's so cool. So people that don't know, thank you, Misty McElroy. Thank you. It's changed so many girls' lives. I know. But it's just so it, we sometimes say it was a self-esteem camp. You know, like it's not just for people to be like musically proficient. It's for girls at this very tender, important age to have other female role, female identified role models. And to, like, learn to amplify their voices for social change. Yes. And, and it's such a big deal how 
amazed they are when they hear their voice through a microphone. Like mm-hmm. that loud, you know, yeah. like it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like in, at that age, I feel like a lot of people are told to be small or girls are, you know, like physically smaller, like shrink your body so that you'll have something, you know, shrink your voices, uh-huh. be in line. And so rock and roll camp for girls is the inverse of that where we're like, take up space. Yes. Say what loud. you need. And that's what, when I was 11, when I discovered drums, I was like, I'm quiet, but I'm now, I am loud yeah. and mad. Yeah. It's like a way to synthesize your feelings. Right. It was really good for me, the drums. And then I want to share that with girls in rock camp and give them those tools and that that language and that um, so that they don't feel intimidated by the guy at the drum shop or, you know, the sound guy who's like, no, put your amp like that. Still happens. I mean, a billion times every day. People always ask me, we're, we're segueing to advice. Okay. People always ask me how to make friends. Yeah. And I always say, if you can, volunteer at Rock Camp. Because that's where you're going to find people that they're like culturally have something in common with you, but also they yes. give a shit. It's a good, good idea. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I just think like if I moved to a new town, I'd know anybody and I wanted to find my people. I've known girls that have done that, women that have done that, and then also bands that have started that way. Oh, yeah. A ton of awesome bands. And, like, even people that go to ladies' rock camp. Yes. Okay. Do you want to st- – let's, let's start with the drum question, and then we'll okay. get into the deeper, more secular questions. Okay. Patty, what albums or artists, musical or otherwise, would you recommend for someone who wanted to know what influenced your drumming? You are the best drummer. And then there's three emojis. Did you make that question I did yourself? not. No. <laughs> I may have coached the person to phrase it as advice because they were like, what are your influences? And I was like, that's not advice. Uh, uh, (laughs) um, Let's see. Velvet Underground, Mo Tucker, just a a lot of the the White Light, White Heat was great, that record. And um, what else? Uh, Go-Go's. I loved all the Go-Go's records. Great. Um, Let's see. Yola Tango. I love Georgia. Um, let's see. ACDC's fun. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Are those uh, like records you played along to? Or yeah. Learned? I played along to Go-Go's. I played along to ACDC. Um, sometimes if I'm in, like, I'll hear a song that really is inspiring to me, and then I'll, I'll go and want to play it on my drums um, which is weird because this is going to sound crazy, but in this, the first time I've ever said it, but okay. There's a song called awful that's on celebrity skin. Right. And at the, um, the way that they redid the song was they added this kind of clever shuffly thing at the end, but it was basically in the original version, I played it through the whole thing and, and except for the bridge, but whatever. So that, was born from when I wrote the part. <laughs> this is crazy. From a Godflesh song oh. called "Street Cleaner," mm-hmm. and um, and that's the that's the beat. But it's weird because it's a, a a electronic drum part, huh. and I was into it. So I practiced an idea that was like it, mm-hmm. and then that kind of sh- I started playing it, and then Melissa started playing a bass part to it, and then. That's how that song came. But yeah, Godflesh. Wow. All right. Okay, <laughs> listener, you got it. Yeah. Wait, I forgot. 
I, I so I, I put the call out for advice questions. This was not an advice question. Beth Ditto wanted to know what it was like when Courtney was um, being nice to you. What that looked like when she was nice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, well, you know, it's weird because, you know, okay. Like when she likes you and she's really, yeah. And you know, I was always kind of out of the, um, her sort of direct line of fire pretty much Mm -hmm. just because, um, you know, I, I don't, I just, I guess she was you know, she was, she's always been supportive as far as, um, you know, my, my playing and, in you know, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, it's, but when, yeah, I was always just sort of like out of firing range would say. So it was, I, I never, and, and if you were, then you really didn't have to worry about like, what she was, you know, her attitude towards you, yeah. you know, um, and there was no point like to like, I'm not threatening to her. So yeah. she had no issue with yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, there, I think maybe nowadays she'll, when she's what, what would be considered, <laughs> she's always, you know, like gotten great gifts and, you know, that kind of stuff and be generous with the, you know, like Versace gave me these things that I don't want them, you know, and then I, okay, I'll, I'll take the shoes, the pants, the blah, blah, whatever. But she's been generous that way, but never, you know, like, I think nowadays she's more, you know, like, how are you? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, nice. yeah, that. There it is. Not to be a Seinfeld, but have you ever noticed that I never try to sell you Blue Apron on the podcast? Or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of stamps.com? Well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Producer Chris. Producer Ponyo and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts, because we like it. If you would like to tip producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, please, 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 please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much, that's your business, via PayPal, to hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg, like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday, and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and Blue Apron and whatever. But in the meantime, thank you. We appreciate your support, and I look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. That was Ponyo's voice. Don't be scared. Bye. How not to kill people during the winter season is an advice question we got. Gosh. I don't really have a problem with the holidays. I don't I don't yeah. know why I feel I feel unique in that. I don't have a problem with the holidays because I don't spend them with my family of origin. Oh, okay. And so they're always pretty fun for me. Yeah. It's difficult because um I you know it's I'll feel uneasy um, with you know all my my parents are both dead 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that. But, but uh, so like as far as spending time, but my in-laws, you know, if it, I, I don't have baggage with them like my wife does, you know, because yeah. of her family, you know, so it's easier. Mm-hmm. So, but still, you know, it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not like you just sit down and have, oh, I need a glass of wine, yeah. you know. So I need to pet a dog. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. You just got to, yeah, get a dog. Get a dog. <laughs> Person. Yeah. I, and then I, yeah, I think I had to get over so much guilt of not seeing my family of origin. I'm sorry your parents are dead, by the way. Should oh, said that no. at the exact oh, moment okay. when you said it. No. Um, I had to get over a, l- a large amount of guilt of not seeing my family during the holidays. But then once I did, I was like, this is awesome. Uh-huh. Like having yes. like vegan lesbian Thanksgiving was something I did for like many years in Portland. Yeah. And I was like, Thanksgiving's so much better. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know when it's friends. Yeah, like my brother will we'll hang out mm-hmm. holidays. Like, you know, you're coming over and we'll do stuff and we'll have friends over or we'll go up north to in-laws. But yeah. And then, you know, my brother and I have memories of, you know, holidays. And then that becomes the conversation, which then becomes laughs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So good good luck, person, and um, maybe extricate yourself from your family. Yeah. Okay, this is a long one. Okay. Settle in. Hi, Nicole and Patty. Okay. I have this ex who holds a lot of social capital in the queer scene and the music scene in the city I moved to two years ago. She threw a lot of parties, played a ton of gigs, worked with nonprofits, teaching DIY music stuff, and is really well-liked and respected. Classic Leo extrovert. Mm. We dated for a year and a half, and she moved away four months ago. While at least I don't need to worry about running into her at every event, I feel like I'm living under her shadow. I'll go on dates, and inevitably, by the second date, the person has figured out that she's my ex, and it colors how people interact with me. We didn't end on bad terms, ostensibly, because she moved to another state, but the truth is she was cold, undermining, and low-key mean our entire relationship. But people didn't see and didn't know because she had this huge public persona. If I'm honest with myself, I stayed as long as I did because I was scared of the social fallout that would happen if we had a bad breakup. Dun, dun, dun. I can't even be real about my experience because so many of my friends in my not huge Midwestern town uh, city, I made through her. Many of the friends I made through her. Help. How do I get out from under her for once and for all? I'm in my early 30s, and I really thought I'd left this shit behind 10 years ago. Wow. From Troubled in Tucson. I made up the town. Oh. Um, well, not just... That's not Midwestern, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Wondering in Wisconsin. Uh, I think you should have been concerned about the social fallout and broken up back in the... You know? And then... I'll, you know, your friends could have dealt with it from getting the story from each of you. But now, mm. mm-hmm. um, wow. I, uh, you gotta, you gotta just like, I mean, I'm trying to think of a way to say this without referencing balls, but like, you just have to man up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You just yeah. have to be like, this is my truth. This is my experience. I have value and I'm here and maybe I'm not like popular in the same way as that person, but like, I'm fucking here. And I'm a person and it's fine. And you also don't, your, your own persona doesn't need to be made around trashing your ex. Right. I know. What, what is so hot about somebody when you're on a first date is, first of all, not talking about your ex. And second of all, you know, when you're meeting somebody new, it's always cool to hear that they, they, um, they and their ex had a, a amicable breakup. 
Because that sort of kind of shows a bit about you. You know, you like to to make sure things are on the up and up and, you know, just not... and you don't want to be a shit talker either. No. Like, like, oh my God, my blah, 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 you know. Like, ah! shh. Like, you don't need to make bridges with people by victimizing yourself, right. by being like, yeah. guess what? I stayed with a cold person for a really long time. <laughs> wow. Can you believe it? Like, yeah. you, I'm sure that you have other qualities that people, and like, if you respected these things about her, like, do you want to volunteer with, maybe, I don't know. Just, yeah. Yes. And then don't try not to, you know, Bring up the ex and the new dates, you know? Mm-hmm. No, no. I know that, you know, you're saying your friend, you know, the potential new new uh, girlfriends are saying, uh, oh, you're so-and-so's. Yeah. yeah. And then you could just be like, yeah. Like, you know, like you don't have to give them any details or, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've had this experience before where I dated someone who everyone around me all of a sudden started acting totally different. And they were like, oh, no. Nicole knows too much. She's going to talk shit about us to this person we think is really cool. And I was like, I don't, it was, it was really weird. And then when we broke up, I mean, just my real friends were there and it just didn't matter. Yes. Yeah. And, and I have other social value and not, it's not social value. Like wearing a leather jacket with the collar up. It's like social value. <laughs> like, are you like volunteering somewhere or like being kind to people or, you know, like reaching out to your friends and, there's so much else in the world than yeah. this. Like, if you just, and, like, make uh, yourself right-sized. Exactly. And also, there's got to be some cool sh- stuff to you, you know, because uh, I hear you talked about your really blew up your ex as a, you know, did a lot of things. And, and like, I'm sure you've got a lot of cool stuff. So you got to do your cool stuff and get it bigger, expand it. Yeah, it's true. And. I, you know, I don't know if this is this person, this person has all the time in the world, but for me, I volunteered with senior citizens for a long time in Portland and nothing will make your problems in perspective than going and hanging out with like an 85 year old. Wow. Who's like, I'm just happy to be here. Who's like, I just never knew I lived this long. This is awesome. Like, yes. And then you can be like, I'm 32 and I had a breakup and they're like, right. okay, yeah. like <laughs> you're a child and yeah. you and have. And this person was huge in the scene. <laughs> Such <laughs> so popular. So popular. <laughs> They'll be like, I never heard of him. Yeah. I, and you know what? I lost my partner at Pearl Harbor. So think yeah. about that. Yeah, they'll be like, I was married for 50 years and my partner just died. And you're like, well, we dated for a year and a half and she introduced me to a lot of people. <laughs> uh, so anyway, okay. Yeah. All right, this, one, this one's kind of heavy. Okay. This is a shorter though. Dear Patty and Nicole, if you are not accustomed to feeling your feelings and someone major in your life dies, how do you access experiencing the feelings instead of just thinking about them? You know, um, I've been numb to the deaths of close friends and it, it comes up, you know, you know, just it, it, if you don't force the feelings because I, the way, I don't know, my days are that something will come up across my path and experience or a person that will remind me of someone that died. And then that, that's when I feel it. And Mm. Just yesterday, what was I? We were in the eye doctor. Uh, me and my daughter were in the eye doctor, and my mom passed away. Like coming up on two years, mm-hmm. and we were in the eye doctor. And Chris, uh, B was saying, "Mom, when is the doctor going to be in here? When's the doctor going to be? We're in the exam room, right?" And I said, 
I, you know, I don't know. And, and I started to tell her a story, but I used to think about when my mom brought me to the doctor when I was little. And what she would do was when I was waiting, she would open up all the drawers, go through everything. And sometimes the doctor would have, you know, like tongue depressors or uh, there was even one drawer where there were the little prizes. Oh. And my mom would go and take all, you know, and like, here, take this here have this you know and so I started thinking I was like I can't do that (laughs) but I was thinking it made me it reminded me of my mom and you know of course this tears start flowing and then the doctor walks in he's like okay and I was like all right now back to today but it's those moments those that you know that you come across that remind you and the feelings just will come yeah um when you are walking around with the grief, but you haven't fully like gotten into the mire of the feelings yet, how do you function? Like right after somebody dies. Uh, well, you're, you mean grief by just you're just you're sad? Do you do you feel like there needs to be some some action? Behind, I mean, no, I, I don't know. I think if I may or may not know who this questioner is. But I, I kind of feel like maybe they're trying to get, maybe they're they're trying to get to a different place in their grief. But I guess you know healing isn't a straight line. Yeah, grief isn't a straight line. And I don't know what their experience is. Like that could really, um, you, you know, the way that this person dealt with their life. You know, you you put things in different places in your um, in your mind, you know, like I deal with things differently than my wife does. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very matter of fact about stuff and like, you know, everything's organized and, um, yeah. So, and it takes a little longer for her to access her feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, um, but she talks it out. She goes to therapy, you know, as mm-hmm. do I. So, um, yeah, a little too personal. Just <laughs> I think going to therapy, too, is like acknowledging that something's wrong. Even if you're yes. not like walking around bawling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just and it's just like, yeah, denial is like the worst. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. If I can make a leap, I would say maybe this person feels like by not you know, walking around in the full state of their feelings, they feel like they're in denial or something. Right. And how you think how it's supposed to be like, who knows how it's supposed to be. It is the way it is for you. You know, I mean, like I, this is very separate from probably everyone else's grief that we're talking about in this question segment. But like when Beja, my dog died, my, they all like my best friend, like I, I could still talk about certain things about her and start crying, and it's been years. Me too. My boy Pete Pete and Ruby. Rube. And, uh, you know, I still, there are moments where I could, you know, if I really, I could start crying about it now. We could be an acting workshop right now. (laughs) And just, I just saw Lady Bird. That movie, oh, yeah. and there's a scene where they're sitting around the the acting coach is like, okay, we're gonna do a contest. Who can cry first? And I just feel like if you got a bunch of dog lovers together, and just everyone conjured memories or started talking about their dogs dying, I mean, yeah. you really could. That's the first thing place I go, you know. Mm-hmm. 
but it just it just doesn't and i've had different dogs or different relationships or different you know deaths and things that have taken longer than others and it's just it wasn't a matter of me like grabbing it and forcing it to yeah, go one way or the that's other that's how i feel about my dad's death you know i was sort of like numb to it and mm-hmm. angry and a lot of stuff and moving along slowly with it um do you have advice on how that you would give someone who's trying to support someone who is grieving and in recovery I would um, recommend uh, being available all the, you know call me anytime um, also maybe um, tell them to tap into their community and their recovery friends um, go back to the beginning of when you got your friend got clean and sober and maybe give them the advice of doing um, you know 90 and 90, 90 meetings in 90 days, um, get back there and talk about it. Talk, talk, talk as much as you can and reach out to your friends. And um, because there are people that are in the rooms that have gone through this that can help you. And just sometimes, you know, their advice is great, but also just talking about it and have somebody, you know, nod their head in acknowledgement helps so, um, yeah, that's what I would say. All right, last question. Dear Sagittarian Matters, recently I've come up against a life block that I simply cannot resolve. I have general feelings of fondness and emotional connection for people I, with people I date, sometimes even love. I have not, however, ever felt ready to take the next step into long-term commitment with anyone at this point in my adult life. I cannot tell if this is because maybe I am a little non-monogamous and like to have lower-key romantic friendships, or if it's because I am damaged and terrified of commitment, or perhaps maybe I just haven't met, quote-unquote, the one. I'm usually very good at solving my own internal problems. I read a self-help book or hound my therapist until I figure out my next move. But neither... Ponyo, too. Ponyo! No one wants to hear from you yet. They're not done with their question. But neither of these tools appear to be working, and I cannot identify the area in which I need to look for answers. Thanks, Banyo. But neither of these tools appear to be working. I cannot identify the area in which I need to look for answers. I'm beginning to feel stagnant. What are some ways I can stimulate my unconscious mind to bring forth the information I need to move forward? <laughs> I did write them and say, we're both, I'm, you're like sober, and I'm essentially sober. I'm like, neither of us is going to tell you to do ayahuasca, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> yeah, EMDR treatment. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of it? I've always wanted to do EMDR, but yeah. I never have. Yeah. Ticking? What? The tick, the, the, yeah. The, well, you hold these two things and then yeah. just look it up. I don't want to explain yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> also, like, so the, the gist of it is how do you access, um, what, your true desire? What, what, what is it? Uh, um, because I, I recall at the beginning was yes. the, part about uh i can't make it a commitment or you know yeah. do i want to yeah do they f- i wonder if they feel pressure to have that kind of relationship yeah it sounds like they don't do, do it unless <laughs> unless you're fe- unless the spirit moves you right like, don't think you have to because you're gonna end up i mean if you're feeling it, i'm not throwing this upon you um <laughs> If you're feeling like, um, you know, if you've got kind of like your day-to-day life down and you're cool with that, that's awesome. 
You know, you don't need to have a partner up in your everyday unless you're wanting that. Um, but yeah. I, don't, I mean, with some of those things, I kind of feel like, and um, like, I like, don't do it unless you have to do, unless you can't not do it. Like yeah. if you feel so, so if you're kind of like tepid or lukewarm, you should be pretty, pretty clear about that. And, you know, I don't know, but I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with a person if they're not in, if they're not looking for a long-term committed relationship. So I don't know if it's them, if they, like, what would happen if when they take the amount of judgment away from themselves about whether or not they want the thing that they see other people wanting? Uh-huh. I'm reading the question. Oh, yeah. I'm beginning to feel, what are some of unconscious mind to bring forth the information I need to move forward? Wow. I know. Um, gosh, <laughs> your unconscious mind. Meditation. I don't know if you yeah. you sound very meditative typey. Well, maybe. maybe maybe they could use a little bit of meditation. It seems like they think they're going to problem solve their way out of this, or like think their yes. way out of this. Yes, yes. But I don't think you can think your way. I don't think you can think your way into wanting something more than you do. Yeah, it's or wanting like someone more than you do. Linear, literal thing that you can solve. I mean. I don't. I don't know if them being non-monogamous has anything to do with them. Do you know this person? No. I mean, I can't say. <laughs> but I, I don't think the idea of non-monogamy has anything to do with love, with like deep, like a like a deeper like love infatuation kind of limerence, like drunk on love kind of yeah feeling. Do I know any of these people? Do I don't think, think so. Oh, um, okay. You may you may know the grief person. You don't know this oh, person. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, yeah, I don't know. All so right. you say meditation? Yeah. Try that. I say remove judgment and, uh, you know, maybe at some point someone will strike that chord in you. It's e- it's easy to, like, have, like, tepid experiences or bad experiences and then paint all of dating with the broad brush of, like, fuck this. Yes. You know, also, this is going to sound crazy, but hike. Hmm. Maybe um, to the natural world. You know, get out into the woods in the natural world. Mm-hmm. Connect there and connect with the earth first. Mm-hmm. And then... There you go. There you go. All right, great. Yeah. Um, I think that's all. That's yeah. it. What do, we, what do we have to say? That's all. We talked about drums. We talked yeah. about this breakup. We yeah. talked about uh, grief. We talked yeah. about hiking and monogamy and uh, <laughs> being in a band and um oh has there been any fallout from your book or has anything changed in your life because of your book or um, or the movie because yeah you know i um am pretty you know i kind of went in writing it was like how i'm putting it all out there mm-hmm. but it's just so unfortunate that okay well i'm a, i have a I'm a mother of a seven-year-old daughter. So, you know, and of course the book is dedicated to her for when she's older. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I move with other parents, uh, move around in, um, you know, I'm in parent groups and mm-hmm. I'm active in my daughter's school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's concern. Yeah. But um, I just did a, I just did a. <laughs> Panya, get down, get down. You can Go. be up there. Go. Get down. Just but I just did a um, an interview with a pretty mainstream uh, show mm-hmm. and was 
excited to do it and then so disappointed with the questions that you know right pretty early on in the interview it's like um just touching on some of the you know the most um the some of the most delicate uh, i don't want to bring it up again just read the book but you know like some of the tough parts of the book you know and and i and also tough parts of asking about other people that Mm -hmm. I'm like, I went into writing my book to talk about and to be honest and to share my secrets, not other people's. Yeah. So don't ask me about what's the real story on that, you know, and so angry that, um, that, that was the direction, you know, so then I spent the whole time being walking through this verbal obstacle course like oh great now i'm on the defensive Mm -hmm. and i can't just be myself and talk because i'm to worry about so-and-so asking me about so-and-so's drug addiction or you know and so that was that's the stuff that's come up from the book and it's even it's not even stuff i write about you know some stuff that that was brought up wasn't even something i wrote about it was just um, is this true? Or, you know, it's like, come on. Yeah. So, and, and that it's above and beyond those things. It's, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> yes. Pano. <laughs> Pano's mad because that, those were the, she had like a whole line of questioning that was about <laughs> other people's business. Yeah. And, and so it makes me so like, oh, fuck, really? You know? So there was that. Um, that's how I would answer that question. Just it's like I was hoping to talk about some more interesting, exciting, uh, you know, quality things. But no, I have an enormous amount of experience and recovery, strength, and hope. Yes, in your book. Yes, just saying. Yeah, have- and 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 interesting facts about that time in music. Some some cool things yeah. happened then, and I like talking about them. And you know, really, we're going to spend this time talking about that other shit. Yeah. Can I say shit? Yeah. Oh, okay. Say, Damn. Damn. I would have been, I would have been swearing this whole time. That's that's literally all you would have been doing. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, I do have to say after calling Dr. Laura came out, everybody just wanted like everyone wanted to make it more and like like I talked about someone in the book who's kind of maybe a little mentally ill and everyone's like, "Ooh, what does she think? Tell us more about uh, her." This and that. And yeah. I felt the same kind of feeling of just like that wasn't the point, and that's not what I'm using my platform for. And... Right, and I didn't even, you know, in in there's, I didn't. There isn't even. Uh, I mean, this is old shit. Like that stuff was the kind of shit I was like dealing with back in '94, mm-hmm. like in press. I'm not dealing. I shouldn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they didn't ask you about. Uh, walking in the woods to deciding if you're not monogamous or not. So <laughs> that's it. Yes, that's I it. Love and I'm just going to say there probably was not a chihuahua there. <laughs> there was not. Well, no. Oh. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks thank you. for your advice. Oh yeah, and thanks for your book. Thank you. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.